Her Story, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. I have with me today DJ Freeze on the ones and twos. DJ, what is good, guys? How's it going? Today, we are going to talk about the first woman to run for the President of the United States, Victoria Woodhull. Buckle up, people. This one's a wild ride. I noticed in my research that there was a lot more information available about Victoria than there have been about the women that I've done episodes on in in the last few weeks. So that's why this one is a bit longer. I was able to get a little more into detail about her life. So let's get right to it. I actually didn't know this. This I feel really bad. I didn't know that. There. She was the first. Yeah, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, you'll you'll hear why in the story. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Sorry. It's a good one. I apologize. You're not the only. I didn't know about her. Okay. <laughs> I didn't Still. know about her till I started researching. Okay. Born Victoria California Claflin on September twenty third, eighteen thirty eight, in a small frontier town. Homer, Ohio, Victoria didn't exactly get the best start as the seventh of ten children. Wow. Her mother, Annie, was illiterate, manipulative, and callous, and later in life was described as an unpleasant old hag, while her father, Buck, was a thief and child beater. Victoria was practically uneducated. She didn't start school until she was eight years old, and even then, only attended school on and off for three or four years. As a child, her dirtbag dad forced her younger sister, Tennessee, and she to travel around as revivalist child preachers telling fortunes and contacting spirits. Wow. That's not fun. Not a good time. Victoria did believe that she was able to communicate with three of her siblings who had died in infancy which isn't uncommon of children. We all, you know, as, as kids, you think you see ghosts, you hear spirits, you have imaginary friends that you've placed identities on. And her father preyed on this and had her market this as, as a quote-unquote power. Tennessee worked, Tennessee, her sister, worked as a magnetic healer. And the family also sold elixirs, gave massages, and offered cures for diseases from cancer to asthma. Okay. They were reportedly able to make good money during the Civil War as traveling medical clairvoyants. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a thing. I... Yeah. Okay. The hardships continued as Victoria was forced by her parents to marry Canning Woodhull in 1853, when she was just 15 years old. Man, lucky her marrying Canning at 15. He was a doctor, so you would think that things would be turning around for her. Oh, no. Nope, definitely not, because it turned out that he was a philanderer, an alcoholic, and a morphine addict. I was going to ask what he might have been a doctor of, but yeah, no, there were way worse things to be. Yeah. Yeah, uh Uh, That's all bad. Oh, it gets worse. Because he kept her in a tragic state of near starvation and dressed her in rags. All the while, he lavished his mistresses with champagne, fine food, silks, and satins. He treated Victoria this way simply because he felt it was right to. It was, like, his right to do it. Yeah. They had two children together, probably not of her own will. First a son who had brain damage, and then a daughter. Um, She actually is pretty certain that the brain damage is from certain things that 
he her that canning was was doing while she was pregnant oh finally victoria had had enough and she and canning were divorced at the time the stigma behind divorce laid heavily on the woman no matter what was going on behind closed doors divorce was a surefire way to stain a woman's reputation yeah this also meant that she was now a single mother to her severely limited son and his younger sister after the divorce, she kept Woodhull's name until her death, which I found interesting. Yeah. Things started to look up in 1866 when she married again. This time to Colonel James Blood. Cool name. Yeah. Coolest name. Uh, Colonel really Blood. Really good dude. Uh, Colonel Blood, we're going to need you over here. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. He was a celebrated Civil War hero and a dedicated member of the spiritualist movement. Oh. Yeah. So from the 1850s to the 1870s, the spiritual movement, the spiritualist movement swept the nation with nearly 4 million members at its height. To those who were dedicated to the movement, it became a real religion, complete with churches and a rebellion against the notion of a Christian wrathful God and the oppressive Christian church. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm like, are we in the 1970s or the 1870s? What's going yeah. on? People yeah. never change. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Still fighting the same fight. Yeah. He was known to be both politically and socially radical, calling himself a free lover. He encouraged Victoria to self-educate and encouraged her interest in women's rights. And he encouraged she and her sister, Tennessee, to move to New York City, where he occasionally resided. Tennessee and Victoria moved up to New York in 1868. So they weren't even, like, living, really, together. They were married, but it was, like, this open... We'll get into it. (laughs) The sisters deliberately set out to meet Cornelius Vanderbilt, who was a recent widower at the time. Vanderbilt distrusted medically trained doctors and had a fascination with the spiritualist movement. I had no idea. The sisters worked as clairvoyants for him. Right. And it was even rumored that Tennessee became his lover. He's not married right, you know, at this point, so Mm, who knows? Could happen, yeah. Through their relationship as clairvoyants with him, they actually received stock tips. This proved particularly useful during the gold panic of 1869, and it is recorded that the sisters netted around $700,000. A little insider trading? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Martha Stewart had to go to jail for that, but these girls are thriving and alive. With Vanderbilt's backing, Victoria and Tennessee opened their own brokerage firm on Broad Street in 1870. They named it Woodhull, Claflin, and Company. They were the first female stockbrokers on Wall Street. On the day that they opened the firm, crowds gathered to see the spectacle. The girls, not ones to shy away from controversy, donned matching outfits Mm. with shockingly short skirts for the time. How short do you think those skirts were? Um, You know, for for the time, like, not at all. Probably, like, all the way up to their... Touch the tops of their boots. <laughs> Scandal. The wolves of Wall Street. Scandal. Yeah. <laughs> God, can you imagine? That's like a skirt down to your ankles. It just didn't drag the floor. How raunchy. Ridiculous. Up to the top of their boots. Ridiculous. <laughs> Newspapers at the time ran headlines including the queens of finance and bewitching brokers. Ooh. And they laid into it. They love the attention Creative. and drama. Yeah, why not? 
After attending a female suffrage convention in January of 1869, Victoria found herself passionately dedicated to the cause. Moving right along to 1870, the sisters created their own newspaper using money they made in their brokerage business. They called the newspaper Woodhull and Claflin's Weekly. Uh-uh. It was deemed a radical publication. Victoria used her publication to share her ideas on activist topics, social reform, women's suffrage, birth control, and free love. In 1871, Victoria took a leadership role in the Karl Marx International Working Men's Association. Subsequently, the journal published the first English translation of Karl Marx's The Communist Manifesto. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Wow. I, you know, I had, that's, that's, that's pretty badass. That's so cool. I like how radical they are. Yeah. I mean, not, that's not even like... No, they're just bold. Yeah, right. Know? That wasn't, that wasn't, yeah. Right, quote radical unquote, for radical. Yeah, 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 right. They're, that's radical. These progressive <laughs> women with their ideas yeah. and their thoughts. <laughs> What? <laughs> Using her connections, Victoria befriended Massachusetts Congressman Benjamin Butler. With his help, Victoria was able to garner an invitation to testify before the House Judiciary Committee. No woman had ever done this before. Yeah, her testimony was impassioned and her stance on women's right to vote was quote-unquote radical. January 11th, 1871, she argued to the committee that women had already won the right to vote under the newly enacted 14th and 15th Amendments. She argued that women are citizens and, quote, the citizen who is taxed should also have a voice in the subject matter of taxation. Yeah, I guess taxation without representation didn't, wasn't, didn't, it was just for men. (laughs) Apparently, Mm -hmm. they were like, no, no, well, it's for women, kind of. That's absurd. Yeah. If you guys can hear that, it's the blender in the background. It's fine. She ended her speech with a threat. If Congress refuses to listen and to grant what women ask, there is but one course left to pursue. What is there left for women to do but to become the mothers of the future government? I love that. Now, obviously, they ultimately rejected her petition, but her appearance in front of the committee thrust her into a leadership position in the suffragette movement. Rewinding only slightly to April of 1870, right after opening her brokerage firm, Victoria announced her candidacy for president of the United States. Keep in mind that women don't even have the right to vote yet for another 50 years. And she's like, no, 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 doesn't matter. I'm running. People, By the way, oh, how do people sorry. react? Um, we'll get there. Rea- but yeah, I have okay. some more. Yeah. I have a couple little things I want to add. Not only that, not only was she not even allowed to like vote for herself. Not only that, but on inauguration day, she would have been only thirty-four. Article two, section one of the Constitution requires that the president be at least thirty-five years old on the day that quote he takes office. Damn. Yeah. Damn. She's like, doesn't matter. Throw my, throw my hat in. Yeah. So she ran her platform on good women's suffrage, good. regulation of monopolies, nationalization of railroads, workers' rights, trade unionism, an eight-hour workday, equal pay for men and women, direct taxation, prison reform, 
abolition of the death penalty, and universal health care, among mm. other things. Radical. Too I would radical. vote for her right now. The too radical. <laughs> no. She, she, was she known, needs freedom. <laughs> she was known to be an excellent and charismatic public, public speaker. Victoria ran under the Equal Rights Party, formerly known as the People's Party. They nominated her at its May 1872 convention. One of her better-known slogans was, We advocate the rights of the lower million against the upper ten. Which, like, still... That makes sense. It's just yep. not as catchy, but yeah. But it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, if you'll remember, when um, the Wall Street protests... No, yeah, the one percenters. They, they were quoting her. Yeah. In that. In yeah, their, they just, in their they, stance. They got it. They just... They narrowed it down. Yeah. But she has, she has And then the they idea. didn't give her credit. Yeah, right. But, right. you know, here we are. Casual. Right. But hold on to your hat. Because abolitionist and freed slave Frederick Douglass was selected as her running mate. I wasn't wearing a hat for that one, guys. I messed up. That's nuts. I actually, that's, that's, that's It's such very a cool interesting. Card. That's such a cool card. Because that also means that she was making an even further statement of women should have the same rights as the black men that you've just freed. Yeah. So that's so interesting that that's how she was like, you, I'm a woman, also black man for my running mate. Yeah. Now, it's not known how involved or if he was even involved at all in the campaign because he never actually publicly acknowledged it. She just kind of said, this is my running mate. Oh. But... You know, he was actually actively campaigning for Republican Ulysses S. Grant, who ended up winning the election in the end to return to office. Hmm. Things turned particularly sour, though, when she began to fight her critics through her publication publicly. Her mother didn't make things any better when embarrassing details were revealed about Victoria's private life during a lawsuit her mother had filed against her second husband. So all of the things about her growing up, the clairvoyancy and all of that, which, like, wasn't even her doing. But even further, people reported on her attire and personal life more than her actual politics. This is even very true of today's political climate. How obnoxious. You know, that everyone's like, oh, look at that pantsuit she's wearing. And it's like, well, are you listening to what You're she's saying, though? Yeah. She was facing intense personal scrutiny that her male opponents weren't even given a small taste of considering the fact that they were doing more reporting on her skirts that cut off at the ankle instead of the fact that she was technically disqualified from running due to her age yeah they didn't even how ignorant yeah that that's that's insane that they were focusing more on that than the fact that she actually legally even if she technically won she could not be sworn in. Yeah, I mean, I guess that just her attire made her, like, disqualified her. It's because she was a woman. Yep. Ultimately, her name appeared on the ballots in a few states. She She received zero electoral votes. We don't know how many popular votes she received because they didn't even count them. They didn't even count them. We do know, though, that 12 years later, another woman running for president under the same Equal Rights Party received 4,149 votes in six states. Mind you, women still aren't allowed to vote. That's incredible. So that's, that's... there's some good dudes out there. Yeah, I mean... So far, she seems pretty amazing, right? 
Oh, no. There's so much more. You set it up. Okay, good. Not, okay, okay. Oh, no. You set oh, I mean, it is a little, oh, no, but you, you'll... You, you totally, oh, it's so yeah, good. Okay, good. All that right. was a little tricky. I'm excited, yeah. She spent election day in jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Days before the 1872 election, Woodhull published an article in her newspaper, and it did not go over well. Henry Ward Beecher was a very popular preacher at the time who criticized the quote-unquote promiscuous ways that Victoria ran her life. She exposed him as a hypocrite adulterer. She made sure to explain, however, that she wasn't objecting to his adultery, but to his hypocrisy. (laughs) I am not, and she said, quote, I am not charging him with immorality. I applaud his enlightened views. I am charging him with hypocrisy. I love that. That's great. His supporters quickly moved to action and called for the arrest of Victoria and Tennessee, her sister, on charges of sending obscene material through the mail. Wow. Her newspaper was distributed through the mail, and people felt that the articles were just obscene. Wow. They were so hurt. Oh, my God. There was a second article in the newspaper that is attributed to Tennessee. She accused Wall Street trader... Luther Chalice, of getting two teenage girls drunk and assaulting them. An excerpt of, quote, the philosophy of modern hypocrisy. Put a woman on trial for anything. Let her even so much as go before the courts to obtain pecuniary justice, and it is considered a legitimate part of the defense to make the most searching inquiry into her sexual morality, and the decision generally turns upon the proof advanced in this regard. How is it with regard to men? Who thinks of attacking them in regard to their sexual morality? Deputy Marshals Colfax and Bernard were sent early morning, November 2nd, to Broad Street to arrest Victoria. After giving brief chase, she was jailed. Hmm. They, I guess, um, apparently when they got there, she had just gotten into into a, like a carriage and there was like a little chase down broad street for I'm a glad minute she ran, i'm glad she evaded them the Ridiculous. <laughs> the trial drew large crowds but it is reported that in the courtroom the sisters held their heads high if convicted the sisters faced up to a year in prison and a fine of five hundred dollars do they also get sentenced uh, as witches? <laughs> like, ridiculous. All of their funds were tied up in the presidential campaign, and they were not actively in the broker- brokerage business anymore, so $500 was a lot of money. And this isn't $500, like, our time. This no, is $500 exactly. back then. Their defense was led by William Howe, and he was known for winning impossible cases. We've got, like, an amazing defense here. Okay. And the the prosecutor of the case was District Attorney Noah Davis. This slimy boy was a board member of Henry Ward Beecher's Plymouth Church in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we're up against Full here. Full circle, yeah. He wanted the sisters held on a $10,000 bond because of the gravity of their offenses. He was that hurt. He was that hurt. Oh, no. The charges included the obscenity law, and libel of an upstanding citizen. Mm. Like, no recorded charge was libel, and Beecher himself never refuted the adultery (laughs) accusations. (laughs) Like, Mark Twain said that Beecher's silence was, quote, a hundredfold more of an obscene publication than that of the Woodhulls. He commented further that 
There is fire somewhere in all of this smoke and scandal. Cool that Mark Twain was chiming in on that. Yeah, yeah, casually. I like to, just like, wait, this is ridiculous. (laughs) The judge ordered a bond of $8,000 and committed the sisters in lieu of bail to the Ludlow Street Jail. Wow. This place was known as the, quote, alimony club. A large number of delinquent husbands on charges of non-payment inhabited the jail. What? (laughs) The press reported that the women appeared calm and collected and, quote, no womanly exhibition of tears was visible. Anyway. You know those men were just having (laughs) a fit when they were being thrown in jail. Crying. (sighs) Yeah. Now, her defense attorney, Howe, created a defense based on the fact the obscenity charge had no base. Sure. Everything published in the articles and worse could be found in Shakespeare or the Bible. (laughs) And then um, Victoria and Tennessee were eventually released on bail after about a month in jail. For no freaking reason. Yeah. After her release, one of her harshest critics and previous suffragette ally, Harriet Beecher Stowe, called Woodhill a vile jailbird and an impudent witch. (sighs) She was concerned primarily that Woodhill's lifestyle and antics would detract from the seriousness of the movement itself. She believed that distancing the cause from Victoria was the best course of action. Susan B. Anthony... Elizabeth Cady Stanton and others embraced Woodhull at the time of her congressional appearance, but they all had a falling out. Woodhull wasn't invited to speak at any suffrage conventions after her first run for president. Victoria was a proponent of free love. Again, you would have thought this was the 1970s and not the 1870s, but history or her story always repeats itself. While she was campaigning, she regularly spoke about sex. She spoke about how women should have the right to escape bad marriages and control their own bodies. She advocated for the legalization of prostitution. She wanted women to be protected. She shocked everyone when she declared, I want the love of you all, promiscuously. (laughs) And quote, it makes no difference who or what you are, old or young, black or white, pagan, Jew, or Christian. I want to love you all and be loved by you all. And I mean to have your love. This just seems like, She's, you know, I like, know. A, like what a normal human being yeah. should be. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. What, uh, what, how else are people running? I know. What, what other agenda are people running on? Uh, on I'm, I'm, Not on, for the people. On racist agendas? <laughs> like actual, like. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. At one time, she lived with her ex-husband, husband, and her lover in the same apartment, causing everyone's pantaloons to be all kinds of up in a bunch. She also knew the power that women had in all of this. She said, let women issue a declaration of independence sexually and absolutely refuse to cohabit with men until they are acknowledged as equals in everything. And the victory would be won in a single week. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean. Yeah. I, she's not wrong. Don't, don't even. Yeah. Don't even check with us about that. That's just off. I mean. No. And she quote radically declared that women should have the right to marry, divorce, and bear children without the government interference. The next few years were tough on Victoria. She and Colonel Blood in 1876 divorced, and then trusty old moneybags Cornelius Vanderbilt died in 1877. The sisters weren't in good standing with him at the time of his death, 
because their lovely mother struck again a few years earlier when she forged Tennessee's signature on a blackmail letter to Vanderbilt. And he understandably cut them off. Man. Yeah, she sucks. Vanderbilt's children fought in court over his $100 million estate, and it's rumored that Victoria and Tennessee were paid off to not testify at the trial. Presumably to get a fresh start, they left for England in August of that same year. Victoria met her third husband, a wealthy banker named John Martin, in 1883, and his mother adamantly opposed the marriage because... You know, she was like, well, look at all this scandal this lady brings. Which isn't even scandal in the first that's, place. That's but not her scandal. I know. That's everyone else. I know. With, with her mom? No. That's yeah. not Yeah. That's not her baggage. Susan B. Anthony actually advised a British suffrage leader to not meet with Victoria. I know. Saying that both sisters are regarded as lewd and indecent. Wow. I know. Ooh, it's about to... Mm. Unnecessary, Just Shay. listen to this. Unnecessary. When Anthony Stanton and Matilda Gage published a comprehensive history of the women's suffrage movement in the 1880s, they left Woodhull out almost entirely. That's That's why nobody knows who she is. Wow, they buried her. Yeah, they, because they... they thought just because her approach to women's suffrage and freedom of a woman she was different than them it's the same team it was liberated i know it's the same team this is awful it's really sad so that husband that she had just married died in 1901 so they weren't married for too long after his death victoria was one of the first women in england to own a car she had gotten really fascinated with automobiles she resided in england until her death on june 9th in 1927 while in england she spent her time writing a lot she published a magazine with her daughter it ran for nine years beginning in 1892 and it was called the humanitarian another of the works that she wrote and published was called human body the temple of god in 1890 i actually really want to read it i read an excerpt of it and i was like cool she preserved the English home of George Washington's ancestors. She donated money and services to the townspeople around her estate, and she volunteered with the Red Cross during World War I. Wow. I know. So we're going to get into a little um, history in women and politics right now. So nearly a century passed between Woodhull's run and the first woman to vie for a nomination of a major party. In 1964, Senator Margaret Chase Smith of Maine tried to grab the Republican nomination. Out of New York, Shirley Chisholm tried for the Democratic nomination in 1972, along with Patsy Mink from Hawaii the same year. More recently, we have from Colorado, Patricia Schroeder, Cabinet Secretary slash North Carolina Senator Elizabeth Dole, Illinois Senator Carol Mosley Braun, Minnesota Representative Michelle Bachman, Hillary Clinton, Elizabeth Warren, and more have all competed for the nomination of Republican or Democratic parties. Women are majority of the voters. So what's going on? So it's so interesting. I think it has to do with how things are being presented to us. And the amount of coverage that they receive versus what's actually being 
Some people are just stuck in their ways. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to be stuck in their ways, Mm -hmm. rooted, Mm -hmm. cannot see certain people doing certain things Mm -hmm. inherently. Mm -hmm. Like, don't even mean to, like, just genetically, like, like, not DNA, but, like, will refuse... And they'll just try to n- deny it yeah. or, th- you know, mm-hmm. think it's something else or, or not, or it's not actually this, it's something, it's actually yeah. something else, but like, yeah. no, no, yeah. that's, that's a you thing. Yeah. So Woodhull has been reduced to a footnote, a good story about a flashy radical woman, but she set a precedent. The suffragettes continued to nominate women through the Equal Rights Party. So she was the first to do to run, and then through this party, they were able to just keep putting women out there. In 1917, Jeanette Rankin became the first woman to serve in Congress. She was a Republican representative for Montana, one of the few states at the time who allowed women to vote. This is before it's even fully allowed. In 1918, women had won the right to vote in 40 states. With Rankin's advocacy, the amendment to the Constitution was made to allow women the right to vote in 1920. Hundreds of women... 1920. 1920. 1920. Not that long ago. 100 years. 100 years. 100 years. Yeah. Hundreds of women have now served in Congress. Two female candidates have been major party nominees for VP. Geraldine Ferraro in 1984 and Sarah Palin in 2008. Hillary Clinton was the first female to actually get the nomination for a major political party. From her jail cell, that sounds like I'm talking about Hillary Clinton, from (laughs) Victoria, from her jail cell in prison on election day in 1872, she wrote a letter to the editor of the New York Herald. To the public, I would say in conclusion, they may succeed in crushing me out, even to the loss of my life, But let me warn them and you that from the ashes of my body a thousand Victorias will spring to avenge my death by seizing the work laid down by me and carrying it forward to victory. Damn. She's so interesting. You know, she's right now more than ever. Oh my gosh. Um, And something, something that blew me away in researching this was how... (laughs) Every, everything she stood for is everything that we're still fighting for today. That's crazy. It's 2020, people. It's 2020. Yeah. Yep. It's 2020. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Stuff has to, yeah. Things gotta change. Stuff has to happen. Yeah, this is, I wish she was running today. She would get my boat in like two seconds. This is ridiculous that we still have to even be talking in this sort of manner. Like, this is, there's so many other human rights crises, you know, crises, and and this is something that hasn't been figured out yet because there are just a, you know, a group of people who just can't stand to, you know, uh, have a changing of the old guards. Like, if you just, uh, it's, it, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mini mini meltdown, mind mind blowing. Yeah, mind blowing. Voting is so important, and I encourage every one of you, male and female, to make sure your voice is heard. Nothing's gonna change unless we all get out and vote all the time. Not just for the big elections like the one coming up this year, but the small ones around your your city, your town. That's where change starts to happen in the smaller communities to then get the tide rolling, get the tumbleweed going. I, I honestly, from being in the music industry as a DJ, 
as you guys know, <laughs> DJ Freeze. it's very important that everyone's just aware of what's going on. You yeah. know what I mean? There's no excuse to be ignorant. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're not doing anything and you choose to be ignorant and naive, then you are a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you oh, know, there are other man. people out there who Got the aggression are today, not Freeze. even, <laughs> there are other people who are not even being considered or thought of in, in, in you know, in less fortunate situations and, uh, yeah. you know. There's just no excuse mm-hmm. to be ignorant or mm-hmm. naive like that in the world yeah. anymore. Definitely. Stop it. Yeah. DJ yeah. says, <laughs> get out. Oh, you're fired. Never calling you DJ Freeze again. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps the podcast get noticed, and it only takes a really quick second. You can follow us on Instagram at Women of Her Story Podcast. You can also send an email to womenofherstorypodcast at gmail.com. Tune in this Friday for an interview with recording artist Ellie Van Amerongen.